Hello and welcome to the Fish on Ted podcast, where we talk about the business of hunting and fishing. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. We're recording today at the end of August 2019, and we have a special guest with us today from Tillamook, Oregon, without uh, stealing his thunder. Daniel, are you there? I am here. Terrific. Hey, welcome, Daniel. Welcome to you too, Ted. Oh, thank you. Daniel, you uh, have a, a, um, a guide service called Daniel St. Laurent, right? And you run out of Tillamook, Oregon, right? Yep. Uh, I run St. Laurent Guide Service uh, primarily out of Tillamook, but I fish up in the Astoria area and the Portland metro area, all depending on the season. Mm -hmm. Well, very good. Very good. Well, you know, we had heard doom and gloom for this 2019 season, in particular for the Kings that were coming in at Bowie 10 on the Columbia. And you're just, you're, you're still on the Columbia right now. How's that season actually turned out for you? The King salmon season here at Bowie 10 uh, has been very, very good. I wouldn't call it as good as it was where we got spoiled three and four years ago with million plus fish runs. But mm -hmm. comparing it to last year's fish runs, which this year was supposed to be very similar, it blew those right out of the water. Uh, in my uh, prediction, they're way, way off. We have seen amazing king fishing. We continue, are, we are continuing to catch kings, even though we're coho fishing, uh, right. trying to target the coho and stay away from the kings, and we are still catching kings to this date. And no. uh, the it really is boding well for our other fisheries up and down the Oregon and Washington coast, specifically for Tillamook and Nehalem fisheries, which normally if buoy 10 is good, those ones are good. They run very similar year in and year out on the fish runs. Right. Now for those people that are not from the Pacific Northwest, Daniel, um, uh, the, the salmon usually come in uh, to buoy 10, which is the, entrance or uh, the, of, of the Columbia River into the Pacific Ocean and then the other salmon runs to the other tributaries and other coastal rivers happen after this. Is that correct? Yes. The, the main salmon run at Bowie 10 for Kings is it opens August 1st and normally peaks between August 20th and 30th of August is the peak for our King run generally uh -huh. here at Bowie 10. Yeah. But for our fisheries down south in the Halem Bay and Tillamook Bay, our fall runs don't really start down there until the beginning of September. And the peaks down there for the bay fisheries are mid-September through mid-October for fishing oh. inside the bays. And then mm -hmm. after that, they go into tidewater and into the rivers November and even into early December that we're still fishing for kings down there. So it's a much later run. So we always have the buoy 10 season much earlier than those runs. And we kind of gives us a good idea on how those runs are going to be depending on how the buoy 10 run shapes up to be. Right. So this is the indicator on how the rest of the fall season is going to be looking for pretty much. Yes. Very, very close. I mean, uh, it, you can kind of look at the years of, over the last 20 years, and it is very close in the Tillamook Nehalem fisheries to the Bowie 10 fishery. And a lot of it is because there's such so close proximity to those two fisheries, three fisheries, 
that uh, those fish go out in the ocean and they travel in the, very close to the same patterns is oh, okay. one of the main reasons. One of the main reasons that you can uh, take the two fisheries or three fisheries and look at them from year to year and have them very close. Uh, if it's a good year or a bad year, you kind of know ahead of time, depending on what the Columbia River season is. Awesome. Awesome. Well, gosh, it sounds like a great season coming up for you, man. That uh, uh, That's well-deserved for the the lot of you that have held out for this over the, the past few years. So congratulations. Yes, it, we are very excited. Uh, we've been very excited with what we're seeing here, and we're very excited what's good the next two to three months of fall salmon fishing is going to be like down in the Tillamook Bay, uh, Nahalem Bay fisheries, and even into all of the rivers that flow into those, Nahalem River and the Trask, the Wilson, the Kelches River, and even down south from Tillamook, the Nestucca River. We're very excited for all of those rivers and bays. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, Daniel, hey, give us a little background on you. How, you know, how old were you when you caught the fishing bug, and and was there somebody in your life that uh, uh, was sort of your mentor growing up that uh, that sort of taught you the ropes of what you're uh, you're doing now? My dad got me into fishing. Uh, he started taking me fishing at a very young age to the point where. He was actually changing my diapers in the boat. Uh, that's what age I got started. So I was, I was fishing at an extremely young age, and I fell in love with fishing more than anything in the world. And once I saw people could make their living taking people fishing, I knew at that point that that's what I wanted to do. So no. I've I definitely worked in one way or another in the fishing industry since I got out of high school. Wow, that's, that's terrific, man. So is Tillamook then uh, your home rivers, or did you grow up somewhere else other than the, the Tillamook area? I've been fishing the Tillamook rivers for a very long time. I, the, where I first started fishing was the Lewis River out of Woodland, Washington. But oh, yeah. uh, I, I've been fishing on the coast uh, for over 20 years now, and uh, I make my home in Tillamook. And the fish runs in Tillamook are so long and drawn out that I can guide in Tillamook over nine months a year. So that's kind of a very unique spot for salmon steelhead, as well as the ocean fisheries out of Tillamook Bay, that uh, there's many fisheries going on throughout the year that you can sit there and have a very successful day fishing. Right, right. And and again, for the listeners that we have or that are from out of the area, they may be thinking, where in the world did I, did I hear about Tillamook? And all you have to do is go to your dairy free or your uh, dairy section in your supermarket, and it's the same place that uh, they make Tillamook cheese. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. There's uh, the the big joke in the Tillamook area is there's more cows than people, and it's not really even a joke. It it is a true fact. There, uh -huh. the cow population in Tillamook is large, and that's one of the main reasons is Tillamook cheese. It is a twenty four seven opera operation there and there's yeah. milk trucks and farmers going around the clock all the time and that's one of the main reasons Tillamook cheese. Oh terrific now now sort of back to uh, the, the, to uh, what you do year in and year out you also uh, go to Alaska and fish up there a few months out of the year don't you? Yep I go up every year and participate in the commercial sockeye fishery in Bristol Bay Alaska it's oh, the wow. biggest sockeye run in the world 
mm-hmm. every year in, in Bristol Bay, and it supplies over 50% of the world's sockeye salmon. And it is one of wow. the most sustainable, well-managed fisheries we have here in the world, not just the Pacific Northwest. They do an extremely good job of making sure that the fish get up to spawn, and we have a very sustainable fishery year in and year out. Right, right. I'll, I'll be darned. And you had one heck of a year, didn't you, uh, this year? Yeah, when I was on the boat for the 28 days I was on the boat, we did 485,000 pounds of sockeye salmon. Uh, and they actually, by the time I came home, they fished another couple weeks and they ended up well over a half a million pounds for the season for the boat that I was on, which is a tremendous season. My God, that's incredible. That is incredible. I was talking to uh, uh, Kent Anderson. Kent has a uh, fishing camp on the Nushagak, uh, just around Portage Creek. I was talking to him, I think yesterday, something like that. And he was, he was, he, he was, he brought up the the point that the salmon were sort of caked up in the bay a little bit longer this year, and that the commercial guys in Bristol Bay were were taking advantage of that, which is awesome. And I was thinking about you going. You know, based on what I heard about the season, that uh, you were probably right in the middle of that mix. Yep. No, I, w- I was actually fishing in the Igigik district this year, which is across from the Nushagak district that uh, Kent fishes on in the Nushagak River. But yeah. that is very true. We had extremely warm water temperatures, and all of the fisheries in Bristol Bay saw that very same thing where the fish did hang out and didn't shoot up the river as, as quick as they do in some years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. 2019 is uh, 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 coming uh, coming to be a very good year for you. So you said yes. that you, you fished the Tillamook area for how long? 20 years now? Something like that? I, I have fished the Tillamook area rivers and bays for over 20 years now. Wow. And, you know, people have heard about the Columbia and all of the King Runs and, and, the, and that particular fishery. But if you're not from the Pacific Northwest, Tillamook uh, is, um, is, is, is a fishery that really you should take a look at because uh, it's not that far from Portland. It's not that far from the Columbia River, but it's, a, it, it, it's its own ecosystem, is it not? I mean, it's, um, it's not all the rivers are draining into the bay and, and then they're going out to the ocean from there and you're not a tributary on like the Columbia or the Willamette or anything like that. Yes, the the fish have a lot better survival rate down there for a multitude of reasons. We don't have dams on any of the rivers. They're uh, all fed by springs and out of the coastal mountains. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't. We don't. We don't count on snow melts for anything. It's just rainwater and springs coming out of. The mountains uh, were very dependent on rain to get our rivers up to a level where the salmons can swim up them in the fall and winter and spring months. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to worry about any warm water conditions like a lot of the Columbia systems have the dams where they warm up each year. And we right. don't have the sea lion and seal problems uh, on the coast like the Willamette Valley rivers and the Columbia rivers have. So. Uh-huh. We we have a lot better survival rate. We have uh, one user group. We don't have multitude of states and uh, commercials and Indians trying to manage a fishery. We have mm-hmm. one user group, sport fishing, that manages the, those fisheries, and they're a very well-managed fishery. And those, just like Bristol Bay that I mentioned, are a very sustainable fishery. They They get their fish back every year, and 
you're looking for like the king runs in the fall it's kind of the one spot in the northwest oregon if you want to go catch a big king in the 40 or even potentially 50 pound class that's where you're going to go the tributaries that flow in there uh have always been home to very large salmon and we still see that to this day in the tillamook nehalem systems very large fall kings wow now so over the years uh What's the biggest salmon that you've uh, you brought in? I personally, when I would be well before I was guiding, I reeled in a 52-pound salmon from the Trask River above Fifth Street boat ramp, uh, fishing in tidewater with bobber and eggs. And yeah. I was so proud of that fish when I caught that. It was probably 18 or 19 years ago now. Wow. And I was so proud, so proud of that fish. And believe it or not, the next week I was fishing the same hole and I saw a gentleman catch a 63-pounder. And I thought to myself, wow, I thought mine was big, but that thing blows mine right out of the water. Really? No so kidding. It, it's pretty amazing some of the fish you see come back to these rivers. Yeah, yeah. I'll be darned. So so what's the the biggest one you've seen over the last few years then? We see, I have not physically seen one uh, over 50. I've had a couple guide prints catch a few that over 50. There's... Mm -hmm always every year we see many over 40 and there's some weeks in the bays that we see 40s on a day-to-day -day basis really? between 40 and 45 pound fish so really? those are very common still the 50s yeah. are definitely not as common as they used to be but they're still around but the 40s the i see them every year still that's a mm -hmm. uh, very common fish obviously some years more common than others but you have a very good shot any day you go out and tell McNehalen Bay systems or even in any of those rivers that you could break that 40 pound club. Really? Wow. Wow. That's terrific. So um, give us a little idea of what the bay is like, because Tillamook Bay is a little different than what most people think a, a bay is. Obviously there's a big, big pool of water out there, but you've got a lot of channels that run through and a lot of, a lot of uh, of of, of uh, tidewater areas that you fish also, right? Yes, it's Tillamook and Nehalem Bay are both very similar bays. They're very shallow bays. Uh, they it's not uncommon when we're in the bays to be fishing in five to fifteen feet of water. When we get out to the mouth of the bays, we mm -hmm. uh, do fish in a little bit deeper water. Nehalem Bay, we're fishing in twenty to thirty feet of water. Tillamook. Uh, along the jetties of Tillamook Bay is anywhere from 35 to 50 feet of water. But those mm -hmm. are kind of the deep spots. Once you get into the bay, they're very shallow bays. And if you don't know the channels in the bays, you're going to most likely end up high and dry on sand flats or mud flats. Uh, it's a, at low tide in both of those bays, about 75% of the bay is, has no water. It's sand flats, mud flats. So really? you better have your channels marked on your GPS units so you know where those are for that reason. And when it's foggy, that you don't be run aground and then end up on the mud flats for the day waiting for the tide to come back in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, no kidding. That, uh, I, I fished the bay a number of times, and the first time I went, I was just astounded that we really hit no big water at all. I mean, the channels that we were fishing were anywhere from maybe 40 feet to 50 feet across, and it and it just felt like you were fishing a river versus, uh, you know, a saltwater bay. Yes, very, very uh, true there. Uh, and that's the same even up into tidewater. I mean, there's spots in tidewater that 
there's nice little 15 foot holes where you can be bobber and egg fishing. But to get from that hole to the next hole, you're going to have to go through a foot or two of water sometimes, depending mm-hmm. on exactly what section of river you're in. So right. uh, there's great, great salmon habitat, but you better know your way around or you will get stuck very easily. Yeah. And, 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 and have a, have a tide chart with you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Know, know your tides and know your weather as well. Yeah. Well, that, that gives credence to uh, hiring someone like you versus going out with uh, your own little Lund or something like that and trying to figure it out. Uh, I would imagine that you find a lot of people high and dry as the season goes on. We absolutely do. We see that uh, over and over every year. It's kind of just uh, something that we are almost used to seeing. It's another guy high and dry. So <laughs> the, it's uh, we see it every year, and I think that'll go on forever. Everybody thinks that, oh, it's not hard. Just go throw the boat in the water. Let's go fishing. But a mm-hmm. little bit more mm-hmm. to it in those areas than uh, you really think about. Yeah, yeah, so true. As, as a kid... I fished the Gardner area one time, and I had a buddy with a drift boat, and we went uh, put in there at Gardner and went down to the jetty and fished sturgeon for a while, and we didn't know what the, the tides were going to do that day, and came back, and they had a minus tide, and from where we were putting in the boat originally, we had about 125 yards of just pure mud that we had to drag <laughs> yeah. the drift boat through, you know, and uh, yep. it was it was crazy. We were both on one side of the boat and pulling it. And then you get your footing and pull it again. And you know, what was really nuts about it, Daniel, is that we had a guy that pulled up in this old like Rambler station wagon. Now, of course, this is in the eighties and he jumps out and he's a good 350 pounds. And he goes, Hey, I'll come out and get you. No, you stay there, man. You know, we don't need it. You know? <laughs> And by God, if he, by God, if he didn't put on his waders and he steps out that dock and he goes all the way up to his neck in mud and his wife yep. was screaming that he was going to be dying and he thought he was drowning. <laughs> and so we had to leave the boat where it is, walk over to the dock and get that 350 pound guy up on, on the, uh, you know, on the dock <laughs> and then go back and pull the boat in again, you know, and uh, so that's the, funny. So the so the tides really can take their toll, and that was my lesson learned on fishing areas like uh, Tillamook Bay and Nahalem Bay, and that and that sort of thing. So, but now now in regards to other types of fisheries that are available, you have steelhead that come through that water too, don't you? Yeah, we have an amazing winter steelhead uh, fishery in the Tillamook area between the Wilson and the Stucca, which both have broodstock programs and what i mean with broodstock programs is we catch the native steelhead we keep them alive in our boat there's places that we at the end of the day we can drop the native steelhead off they keep them alive they go to the hatcheries and they actually live spawn them since steelhead don't necessarily die they live spawn the steelhead and when those offsprings come back from those fish that are all caught by anglers mainly guides Mm -hmm. on the wilson and the stucker river we get hatchery fish from those fish and it has made an amazing steelhead program that basically starts mid to late December and goes all the way through April. And, uh, instead of a small six to eight pound steelhead that when I was growing up, that's kind of what those rivers had. Mm -hmm. Now we have on average eight to 12 pound steelhead and we see 20 pound hatchery steelhead caught every year. So it's made an amazingly 
uh, difference in the steelhead runs in that area with this program on those rivers. Wow. The rivers that don't have that program, the Trask, the Kelches, the main stem of the Nehalem, have an amazing wild run that is a true wild run that uh, we don't have any hatchery systems. And those rivers are a very good program as well, that they don't bring the hatcheries involved with those. They just let the wild fish do their own thing. Now, is that all catch and release then for the, the native fish? Yep, all of the wild fish are catch and release fisheries, and uh, they're very, the steelhead, unlike some of the salmon fisheries, it's very easy to catch and release steelhead and keep them alive, and the mortality is excellent because you're only hooking them right in the side of the jaw, so very easy to pull over and get pictures and let them go and not have to take them out of the water and risk survival rates. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, in, in regards to the, the gear that you use and that sort of thing, I'm sure it's dependent on water levels and uh, uh, temperature and, and a myriad of things, but are, is there one type of fishing that you like to do over another? It really varies. It all kind of depends on the time of year. I really enjoy all of the fisheries I do. When, mm -hmm. when, I'm, in the dr when I'm in the drift boats in my small sled, I uh, definitely fish more hands-on where you're very involved with either casting for steelhead uh, or for salmon fishing, either back bouncing eggs or bobber fishing eggs, but it, the rod is in your hand, depending on if it's salmon or steelhead, pretty much all day. So you're much more involved uh -huh. in the fisheries in the rivers and in tidewater, unlike the bays, the ocean. Uh, fisheries where you are trolling mainly with either herring or spinners or variety of things. Right, right. And and there's something to be said for that. I mean, I've been on a lot of charters where there's a lot of a lot of rods out and you just sort of take turns and reeling in the fish. You you really don't have that that thrill of setting the hook on a fish um, and 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 waiting one out is uh, uh, as, as one starting to play with your, uh, uh, you know, your eggs or, or, or your lure or that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's um, like you were saying, it's much more intense, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the, the people love the hands-on fisheries. And I mean, the Pacific Northwest to that time of year is mm -hmm. uh, the weather depending on November through March, early April is normally quite rainy and stormy, but believe it or not, people love the hands-on fisheries so much the weather doesn't really bother them. Uh, there's lots and lots and lots of people waiting to go fishing that time of year because of how much fun the hands-on fishing is here in the Pacific Northwest and some of the small rivers and tidewater sections. Right, right. Now, now tell us about the boats that you use. Um, you, you mentioned something about a, about a sled, and a sled is very common in Oregon and Washington, maybe not so much uh, you know, for the people on the East Coast. Explain what a sled is and, and how it's set up. It's, uh, there, there's a multitude of different uh, sleds out there. It's pretty much an open boat where uh, you can fit uh, people in there and still have lots of room to fish and move around in the boat. I have two sleds. One is kind of my bays and ocean and big river sled, mm -hmm. which is a 28-foot uh, Willys sled, and, and that is has a very deep V in it. So... I can't run in super shallow water. I can still run through five feet of water, three feet of water with the propeller, but it, uh, it's not meant to run in shallow water, but it does amazing out in the big water, has a big V in it, so it cuts through the wind chop and some of the bigger swells and waves we have throughout the year. Right. But 
My small, my small 21 foot Willie sled is built to fish in extremely shallow water. It can uh, run in inches of water and it does amazing in the rivers and tidewater sections around Tillamook. And, uh, it makes, makes it very nice to have two boats that I can, uh, go back and forth with for those fisheries. Yeah. But then I have on the smaller one, you run a a prop or a pump on that. I have a 200 horse jet on my small 21 foot. And then my big one, I have a 250 horse prop. So kind of have the best of both worlds, depending on where I'm fishing. I have one, one or the other of the boats that is the perfect boat of choice. Absolutely. And you were telling me that you have, you, you have heated seats in all your boats, right? Yep, I have I have four boats. They all have heated seats. It's a big draw, especially the cooler months or cooler mornings. Okay. Uh, I always have heated seats in there, especially my two drift boats. I have an 18 and a 20 foot drift boat that we drift the rivers in the Tillamook County area in, and those heated seats are a almost a must in those boats. I mean, depending on what time of year it is, uh, yeah. November through March, no matter what, at some point it's going to be cold. Either in the morning, uh, a little rain squall comes through and you you get cold, uh, you always turn those heated seats on and it makes it for a much more enjoyable day. Instead of freezing cold all day, you can warm up a little bit with your heated seat. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and back in the day, you know, we always had a heater in our drift boat as we uh, would go fishing. And you're always fighting with your buddies, you know, who's going to get warm now and who's going to get cold. And uh, with the heated seats, uh, everybody stays uh, toasty warm, don't they? Yes, it, uh, everybody has their own seat. You just turn it on. If it gets too high, there's a low setting. There's a high setting. Uh, it's kind of nice. Some people don't like it too hot, so you put it on low. And the people that are freezing cold, you just turn their seat on high. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there you go. So, so when, what time of year do you then switch from using a sled to a drift boat, Daniel? I normally, it kind of depends on the weather, but normally it's sometime either towards the end of October from the 20th to 30th of October or into early November. Uh, we kind of need rain here in the Pacific Northwest and it not just a little uh, to get the rivers to where we can use the drift boats. We need five to 10 inches of rain within a two to three day period mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. so much of the rain soaks into the ground at the beginning. I mean, it sounds like an extremely large amount of rain, but our rivers are so low due to the summertime uh, weather that w- we need that five, 10 inches of rain first to soak into the ground and then start making it into the rivers where we can put boats down them and actively fish. And the fish won't be in the rivers until that all happens as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Because it, they, they require a little fresh, don't they? of that uh, yep. uh, fresh water to be lured into the river system. Yep, and the, physically, right now, even if a salmon wanted to swim up a Tillamook County River, except mm-hmm. the Nahalem, the main system of the Nahalem is a very large system, and the fish can go up that one whenever they want. Yeah. But the Tillamook r- Rivers, they physically cannot swim up the rivers right now, even if they wanted to, to swim up the rivers. They can't swim up until the fall rains come. So they sit out in the bays and in tidewaters until those rains come to draw them into those rivers. Yeah. You, you know, years, well, then been years ago, maybe five or six years ago, now a little bit longer than that, I guess. I was sitting in a meeting in Portland and uh, I was playing the corporate game at the time. And, and we had a, a, a number of our constituents coming up from California. So there was a, a group of about 10 of us from Oregon and 10 from California at this meeting. 
and it was it was like like mid October something like that, and it started raining, and all of us from Oregon were sitting there going, "Oh my God, we needed this," you know. And the guys from California go, "We get excited when the, when we get sunshine. You guys get excited when you have water." Absolutely, I I am totally in agreement. But by the time mid October, I will be jonesing to get into that small sled and be in those lower rivers or get in those drift boats and float those lower rivers to back mountain bobber fish for fall kings. It's kind of a mm-hmm. ritual every year. And I totally agree. I get very excited when that rainy season starts, uh, brings in fish. It doesn't, people might get doom and gloom. Oh my God, the rains are here, but fishermen and the hunters here in the Pacific Northwest, we love that. It's, it's tis the season and, uh, we all get excited. Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So you also then go offshore a little bit, don't you? And, and fish the Pacific itself during a certain yep, time? Yep, in the fall and springtime, I will uh, be out of Tillamook Bay. Uh, the springtime, we're fishing Spring Chinook uh, out of Tillamook Bay, either in the bay or out of the bay. But mm-hmm. on those trips, we actually do bottom fishing combination with salmon and crab out of Tillamook Bay in the spring, which is basically around the beginning of May through mid-June. Mm-hmm. And those are very exciting trips because the bottom fishing is a very hands-on ocean fishery where right. you're very interactive catching rockfish and lingcod. And sometimes uh, you get a bonus halibut. Uh, you never know what you're going to reel in. So that makes mm-hmm. it real, really, really fun to have it interactive before then you go salmon fishing for the second half of the day where you kind of kick back and relax and wait for the salmon to come uh, jump on the line when you're just trolling and it's way more relaxed. So it really breaks up the day. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, do you have some of those blue lingcod in your part of the world? We absolutely do. We, uh, Depending on what the lingcod are eating, some of them come up a kind of a brilliant blue color and their flays are blue, but... Once you cook them, they are that beautiful white flaky meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just a nasty looking fish. I mean, it looks like they just tear off your arm, but um, they are some of the best eating fish that uh, you can ever, ever put on a plate. They're amazing. I have a lot of clients that come for the bottom fishing, and once we salmon fish for an hour or two, if it's a slow day of salmon fishing, they're so happy with the bottom fish that we go check the crab pots, get a few crab, and we just call it a day. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people don't have the spring salmon craze like some people do in the Northwest. Some people want to grind all day to get their spring salmon. Some people just, they're happy with the bottom fish, and we go in. Right, right. Yeah, that's um, it, 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 it's amazing how many different fisheries or how many different species of fish and crustaceans and, and that sort of thing that are off your coast there. And pretty much if somebody wanted just to guide or, or fish one place in Oregon, you can pretty much go to your area and catch something year-round, can't you? Yep, Tillamook is a very unique area uh, with between the rivers where you drift boat fish, tidewater where you can uh, fish as the fish are waiting for the rain, the bay, the ocean. We have a salmon steelhead or a bottom fish along with crab, and there's even some clamming in the bay. There is something to go catch in the Tillamook Bay area out of Garibaldi or the rivers flowing into Tillamook Bay year-round, 12 months a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've got some pretty good elk hunting there, don't you? Amazing elk hunting. If you want to spend the time to learn an area, 
which lots of people don't want to spend the time, but if you put in all of the work and, and spend the time in the woods, learning the area, you are very successful elk hunting. Mm -hmm. So in, in regards to the Tillamook area, uh, give, give our listeners an idea of what, what Tillamook is like. It's not a big city at all, is it? It's uh, very rural and, and uh, the town of Tillamook is, is the largest um, uh, town in, in that area. But it only has how many people in it now? Ten thousand? Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't know exactly, but it's not a a large town. I mean, we have a it's a very small town. You can drive from one end of the Tillamook to the other in five minutes. You're through town. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it is it is not a large town. It's very rural. Farming is definitely the biggest thing in that area. I mean, obviously Tillamook cheese, but there's a lot of other small uh, operations similar to Tillamook cheese and Farming is a huge thing there. It is not, unless you're a farmer, you're probably not moving to Tillamook, Oregon. Uh, there's even, there's only a handful of us fishing guides. There's probably about 12 of, maybe 14 of us truly full-time fishing guides in the Tillamook area. I mm -hmm. mean, the other big occupation is logging. There's a fair amount of logging, obviously not right in Tillamook, but the coastal mountains around Tillamook, logging is still fairly uh, good occupation to have and there's a multitude of different logging companies but those are mm -hmm. definitely the two big things in that area that people do for work and it is a definite rural setting oh yeah so but you do have uh, accommodations in town hotels and restaurants and that sort of thing where people can stay if they wanted to come over a night before and maybe make a multi-day trip with you Yep, absolutely. I'm networked with a place in Garibaldi that, uh, that I have a lot of clients stay when I'm fishing in the Garibaldi area. We have a, a couple hotels right in Tillamook that I use when we're fishing in the uh, rivers around the Tillamook area. So can, kind of depending on what area you're in and what area we're fishing, there's a multitude of different uh, great accommodations. Uh, there's actually a place that actually will vacuum pack and process your fish too right in Tillamook will actually help ship it to your house yeah, a lot of clients actually there's a, it's a smokehouse they actually will smoke salmon too if you want some some of it smoked we have all the accommodations in the world that you could ever think of if you're going to come for a multitude of different days wow so do you, do you have a lot of people that uh, come fish with you that are outside the pacific northwest I have people come from all over the United States to fish with me uh, between Astoria, Tillamook, uh, Portland metro area, and many of them stay for a multitude of days. I have some people that will do three and four days in a row just because they're mm -hmm. coming all this way. They don't want to just fish for one day. They want right. to make a whole trip out of it. Yeah. And it, I mean, really, if you're a, a, an avid fisherman, it's, it's a, a destination um, uh, like any other out there that, you know, is remote and, uh, the fisheries are just absolutely incredible, similar to what you get, you know, up, uh, in and out of British Columbia and up through Southeast Alaska. I mean, it's the same sort of experience, isn't it? Yes. Uh, it, and so a lot of our fisheries too, the way our fisheries are down here, comparing them up there, our bag limits on what we can catch and keep for a day are much, much higher than those ones that you get in Southeast Alaska. We don't have the world-class halibut fishing that a lot of people have, and you go up to Alaska for it, but if you throw that away, and we, we don't have that, but our salmon fisheries, what we can keep on a day-to-day -day basis, 
are way higher than 90% of the Alaska uh, fisheries and British Columbia fisheries. They are right. very restricted up, up there now, and ours are much more lenient on what we can catch and keep and have in, our, in your possession for so many days. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you brought up halibut. I mean, the restrictions on halibut fishing now in southeast all through Alaska have become, uh, you know, very tightened down. And uh, there's many days you can't get out with a charter or a guide to go uh, halibut fishing. But in, in, in Oregon, if you come at the right time, um, you know, that's all available to you. And, you know, and I agree, you don't have nearly the, uh, you know, the, the, the big barn doors like the, what they have up there, the 150, 200, 250 pounders. But you get fish into the 100 range, don't you? 100 pounds? Yeah, we, we get uh, inshore halibut that on on average range from 40 to 60 pounds, but we will see one in the upper uh, upper 90, 100 pound class. They, they aren't the most common, but we definitely mm-hmm. see them every year. But mm-hmm. uh, our average inshore halibut, which are the ones that I run across, are 40 to 60 pounders on average. And we fish anywhere from 50 to 150 feet of water. That's a perfect eating size halibut, isn't it? I mean, that's... Uh, much bigger than a yes, chicken. I, yeah. I commercial halibut fish for years in Alaska, and I've seen every halibut from five pounds to 400 pounds. And mm-hmm. those ones, you don't want one of those ones over 100 pounds for table quality. The, those 30 to 70 pounders are the mm-hmm. best eating halibut you possibly can have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and so, Getting to you, if you're coming in from out of state on an airline, you, what do you fly into Portland? Is that right? Yep, yep. Fly into Portland. You can rent a car uh, right in Portland. It's about an hour and 45 minute drive to two hours from the Portland airport uh, it, to, into Tillamook. And uh, depending on where we're fishing at the time, you either stay in Tillamook or Garibaldi. And uh, that way you don't have any more than about a 15-minute drive uh, in the morning, depending on where we're fishing. Sometimes if you're fishing right in Tillamook Bay, you've got a minute or two drive. So everything's fairly close to where you're staying, depending on what fishery you're going to come to Tillamook and fish. Right, right. Oh, that's awesome. So you were saying like a two-hour drive from, the, from PDX, and you're there, huh? Yep. Yep, it's not a bad drive at all. I mean, you just uh, – it, you can get right on the highway from the Portland airport. It's all highway driving right over the Coast Range Highway 6 right into Tillamook. It's a pretty easy and painless drive. No mm-hmm. crazy direction to get from the Portland airport over to Tillamook. It's a pretty easy commute. Yeah. And so if somebody wants to book a trip with you for multi-days, you'll sort of help them get through everything, of, of booking their, their lodging and making suggestions that way and handling the fish and everything, huh? Yep, I'm very familiar with all of the hotels here. I work with a couple very closely that I use all the time. Uh, there's a multitude of different uh, hotels you can choose from. There's fish processing. There's enough restaurants in the Tillamook area and up and down the uh, small coastal communities where that are very fun. Uh, it's a great sightseeing in the evenings, watching the sunsets over the ocean. There's a lot to do, not just the fishing, but when you're not fishing and you're here to fish, there's a pretty cool other a- activities to keep you going uh, after you get done fishing for the day. You bet. Now, do you provide all of the rods and reels and tackle and that sort of thing? 
I provide everything. All this person has to do is uh, bring whatever they want to eat and drink for the day and their fishing license. I have everything else covered. Mm -hmm. And they can get the fishing license from one of the, I think there's a couple now sporting goods stores in Tillamook, isn't there? Yeah, there's a couple sporting goods stores around Tillamook and Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife new for 2019. You can actually do it all over your phone and have an app right on your phone. And that even makes it easier. And I've had very good luck with that so far this year. People That's have right. been using that and you just go and push add harvest on your telephone and you click a couple things depending on what type of fish it is, hatchery wild uh the date where you caught it and you push save and that's very quick and painless as well if you are somebody that has a smartphone and are good with that it's a very easy way to go very good now how many people can you accommodate on a trip daniel i can fish up to six in my large 28 foot sled and then okay. uh, my smaller sled i can fit up to four people then my drift boats i fish two or three people depending on which drift boat i'm fishing out of Got it. But so for large for larger groups, yeah. What's what's that? Well, I was gonna. I think we're headed in the same direction. If if I had a, a larger family or maybe a corporate group, you can accommodate that also. Absolutely, I do a multitude of different corporate trips uh, each year that I book a multitude of different guides. So mm -hmm. I have a couple different guides I work with very closely. They run the very similar type of boats that I do. So if somebody calls and has 12 people or 18 people or 10, I mean, whatever it is, I can definitely accommodate anything as long as I have enough notice and you book appropriate time ahead, I can line everything out between hotels and fishing and different guides. I can take care of all of that. Very good. Very good. Well, with all the, I mean, I would imagine you've done thousands of trips now. If you've been fishing for 20 years, holy smokes. Is there a particular trip recently that happened that has been more memorable than another with a with a client or a guest or something that just happened when you were on the water? As of right now, I can't think of one off the top of my head. What I can think of is I'm comparing last year's just over the last month here up in Astoria fishing at Buoy 10 and off the yeah. uh, mouth of the Columbia in the ocean on how the fishing was last year and comparing how the fishing is this year and how thankful I am and all of my guests that have came in and out of the boat that and a lot of them fished with me last year and saw how the fishing was last year, which we still caught fish, but we mm -hmm. had to work really, 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 really hard to get to get the fish that we got. And mm -hmm. now this year on I mean, I bet you well over fifty percent of my trips this year up here in the last month we were done in a few hours with our full limits of salmon. And that's what I, that's what I have seen so much over and over this year. And even the days that we have to fish all day, we still either end up with a limit or end up a fish or two off of a limit, mm -hmm. which is so great to see. And it makes everybody that much happier and that many more memories for everybody else on the boat yeah. that, there's so many fish to go around for everybody and not just me, just every, the sport fishing community in general has really seen a great showing of salmon this year here in Astoria. And that's why we're all excited about over the next three months, what we're going to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, um, by industry standards and just word of mouth in the community, I mean, you're one of the premier fishing guides in, in all of Oregon. Um, but you still have some times available 
um, in the upcoming season. And then you're booking now, what, into 2020? I'm booking winter steelhead trips all the way into 2020 right now. And uh -huh. once my fall salmon season uh, wraps up, I will start booking all of my 2020 trips. But I kind of wait to I wait to start booking from spring salmon through next fall until I wrap up salmon fishing for this year. It's just too much to try to tackle. Uh, I mean, I have people calling already wanting trips for next August, and I try to put that off until I'm fully wrapped up with salmon come end of November, early December, and then I'll get my calendar out and uh, start planning all of 2020 trips. There you go. How do people get a hold of you, Daniel? You can either email me at Daniel at St. com, or you can always call me on the telephone at 503-440-5188. Very good. Very good. Daniel, I sure appreciate you spending time with us today. I know it's a crazy busy time for you and you and I have been bouncing back and forth with each other for about a, a week trying to schedule this in uh, just because of, of the, you know, the great season that you're having right now. And and I just appreciate your time that you're spending with us and, and um, just wish you a continued uh, great year in 2019 and hope obviously it continues into 2020. Absolutely. It's uh, been great talking with you this evening. We'll have to definitely do this again in the near future. And I'm definitely looking forward to a uh, successful rest of the season. Absolutely. Well, tight lines, my friends. Thank you. Thank you.